to, or welcome back to, the Journey Through Life podcast. I'm Justin Barton, the host of said podcast, and I'm really happy to be around here today to um, introduce this week's episode with Shawnee Jarman. I'm excited about it. It will be entitled, Your True Authentic Self. And I think as we go through this conversation, you will truly find out what that means and why that is important to Shawnee and why she feels it is important to all of us to find our true authentic self and live that way. If you have not already subscribed to the Journey Through Life podcast, scroll down right now in whatever podcast app or platform you're using and hit subscribe, hit follow, hit like, whatever it is that your podcast platform uh, does to keep you up to date with the latest and greatest episodes of this and other podcasts, hit that, subscribe, and like us. I just went back and counted, and there are now 33 long-form conversation episodes of the Journey Through Life podcast, previously known as the Know and Do podcast, as well as about 80 episodes of just me pontificating early on in the Know and Do podcast. All of these episodes are very powerful to me. They've taught me a lot, and I know that you can also learn a lot from them if you choose to go listen to them. Now, before we get started on this conversation with Shawnee Jarman, there are a couple housekeeping items that we need to take care of. If you don't already follow us on Facebook or Instagram, go and check us out. Look up JTL Podcast on both of those platforms and follow us, like us. Make comments on posts. If you like an episode, comment about it there on on those posts. Also, we're super grateful to our partners with the Journey Through Life podcast. The first one is one that I think is a perfect fit. Um, I share some of their social media posts on the Journey Through Life podcast Facebook page, and they're just powerful. It's a perfect fit for us. This fit, this company is called a life untold. And now what a life untold is, is there a company that helps absolutely anyone turn their life story into a beautifully designed hardcover book. Their process is designed to be easy for everyone. All you do is complete an interview with thought-provoking questions about your life. You can either do that online or get one of their biographers to interview you live over the phone. After the interview is complete, A Life Untold takes over and designs, prints, and delivers your life story as a hardcover book to your door. This makes a great gift to a loved one in your life and will be a great project to do on your own. Either way, this life story, bound in a printed book, is something that your family will treasure for generations. I'm grateful to announce that listeners of the Journey Through Life podcast will save 10% on all orders by using the code JUSTIN, J-U-S-T-I-N, at checkout. Now go and check out this awesome company at www.alifeuntold.com. Now once you get this awesome hardcover book that you either record for yourself or have a loved one of yours uh, take care of and have written, uh, where are you going to keep it? Well, I have found a perfect place, and I've, I've installed this perfect place just in the last couple of weeks in my house. It's on a beautiful, solid maple um, floating shelf, and this floating shelf is just amazing, and it's held up by a really cool, um, innovative, revolutionary bracket. It's a shepherd bracket. Some of the biggest concerns with floating shelves in the past has been stability, because 
the brackets d designs in the past have been pretty flimsy so that not much weight could be held on these brackets. Another concern is adaptability. Um, if you have a strong bracket, it only comes with a couple of holes that you have to line up perfectly with the studs in the wall, and thus it limits where on the wall you can mount this shelf. Well, with the shepherd bracket, both of those concerns have been resolved. And if you've never seen a floating shelf, or if you've never had a floating shelf, man, I highly recommend you go check it out. Go to shepherdbrackets.com. Shepherd is spelled S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D brackets.com and check it out. And one of the really cool things about their partnership with us is that if you decide to choose uh, to purchase some brackets, you can save 5% online with that purchase by using the promo code JTLPOD5 at checkout. So go check out alifeuntold.com and shepherdbrackets.com and support the Journey Through Life podcast by just visiting or sharing this information with others in your own social media um, platform with your followers. Anyways, now it's time to get on to the conversation of today with Shawnee Jarman. I'm really excited for this. Shawnee and her family were some of the best neighbors we've ever had in our lives. And it's been probably close to 10 years since the last time I talked to her. So this is a good catch up and some really good information for you. So Shawnee, what I'd like to do is uh, just get started off with who is somebody or some people from your past who have had great influence on you, who have brought you to where you are today? Oh, oh, so many people. I think first and foremost is um, my Heavenly Father. I've recognized in the last five or six years that I've always had just a really strong relationship with him. From the age of six, I remember having conversations with, at the time, I didn't know who, it would just be in my head. But mm -hmm. looking back now, I very much um, was guided by that voice in all that I did. Um, I think the second person, the most influential person in my life was my grandfather. Mm. Um, he was probably the, the most influential man by far. Mm. Like he, he showed me what it was, what a good man was. Mm. So tell me a little bit about your interactions with your grandfather. What, what are some of the most um, upfront and present memories you have of him? He just, he let me be me. I just remember he was, he seemed to always be present, but not present. I just remember as a little girl. So my mom was a single mom while I was growing up and to get some reprieve, she would, we would go to my grandparents on, um, like I would go, we would take turns. Us three girls would take turns. And I just remember spending months and months in the summer at my grandparents. And then like every other weekend and they lived out in the country, which nature is very soul filling for me. And so mm -hmm. I would just walk around like their neighborhood and stuff just it was just so much fun but my grandfather he would just let me be like he used to do auto mechanic or auto body work like mm -hmm. auto collision repairs and I would just go out into his garage while he was working on the stuff and he would let me spray paint whatever I wanted like he always had this stuff for me and mm -hmm. like every Saturday night we would have popcorn and apples for dinner and watch the lineup like there was a Saturday night lineup it was Hee Haw, the Lawrence Welk show, yes, yeah. Love Boat and Fantasy Island. <laughs> and I remember just sitting on his lap and we just watched, like we just sat there and watched ate popcorn and apples. And he used to, I was just telling my kids the other day, he used to take 
he used to hold my hand, but he would squeeze each finger. Like as he was watching TV, he didn't even know he was doing it. Hmm. But it was like the most endearing thing to me. I have lots of great memories of him just... I burned, like I laid under a sun lamp for like two hours. It was like really close to me and it, they thought I was going to go blind. I was in the hospital for about a week. And oh, wow. afterward, um, I blistered really bad and I mean, it was pretty bad. And mm-hmm. I went on and stayed at my grandpa's and he took care of me. He made me milkshakes and he, I slept right next to him. So if I winced or did anything, cause I was in a mm-hmm. lot of pain, he was, he was there. What can I get you? Like he was just, he was mm-hmm. just a really good man. Just took care of me. A really cool man and some really cool memories. I love the specificity of the squeezing of the fingertips, you know, as, as you're sitting together and watching that. That's something that is definitely very endearing. That's just really cool. All right. So what are some qualities that you see or saw in him that you s- strive to be yourself, that you strive to emulate yourself as you go through your your life? I think just him letting me be who I was supposed to be. He never, I don't want to dishonor my grandma by saying this, but my grandma always made me very aware of my weight. I was always overweight as a child and my grandpa never did. Like he would, my grandpa's favorite treat was Snickers bars and he would always share his Snickers bar with me when it would completely like sent my grandma would send my grandma on fire that he would feed me candy and I was this overweight child. And so he just didn't care. He just let me, he'd let me be a kid. He let me be, I just feel like because he allowed me to do that and didn't have these preconceived notions of who I should be and what I should do that, like I was able to become this person that I am now. Mm. And he was the start of it. And I've recognized all the experiences I've had in my life that they have made me who I am today. Hmm. And I, I am thoroughly enjoying life right now. No, that's really neat. Let me go back a little bit again. So you talked a lot about your grandfather and the positive influence he's had in your life. And you talked about how you have taken that and allowed others to be who they are. Tell me how you implement that in your life as a mother. And tell me a little bit about, about that process of being a mother. Well, as you know, I have eight children and I call them my little humans. So my four older children, I feel like I put them in this box of they had to do certain things to, I don't know, not be loved because I feel like I love them, but there were certain requirements that I felt like they had to be in order to look like the perfect family, Mm -hmm. um, to look like we had the perfect kids Mm -hmm. and all these other things. And then after going through my divorce, I recognized that if we can't be our true authentic selves, we will not find joy in this life. Mm. So I equate it to, I tell a lot of my clients that if it's like this, as children, there are so many things placed upon us that we need to do, like cross your legs, like that shirt's too short, that we have, you know, we want to please our parents. And so we'll do anything our parents ask ask us to do. And, Mm. you know, there might be a certain time where we're they get to a rebellious phase or whatnot, but they're always going to like, is this going to affect my mom? Is this going to disappoint my mom? And I just recognize when I've let my kids honor their true authentic selves as to what and process through the mistakes that they've made on their own. I mean, with some guidance, of course, Mm -hmm. but that they're able to learn better from that than me telling them how to handle that mistake and how how to go through the process of fixing that mistake or whatnot. Mm. When you turn the reins over to them and guide them accordingly, mm-hmm. they make some incredible choices. And then they learn how to 
be functioning human beings in society. Yeah. So you mentioned that you call your kids your little humans. What does that mean to you? I just, I don't feel like, I feel like they're gifts from God to me and that I'm just, I just have stewardship over them as they're here and guiding them. And so I love watching them become humans. They're these little humans that are turning into these amazing humans. I have, and I'm a little biased, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I have the most amazing children. Mm -hmm. I have, I, I say I have eight great kids. I love watching them. They're all unique, which is the way it's supposed to be. We all Mm -hmm. have our own uniquenesses and gifts and talents. And I don't want my kids to ever feel like they are in a box that they have to live in this, these parameters of how to make me happy. I want Mm -hmm. them to figure out what makes them happy Mm -hmm. and to live by those. And I tell them, always follow your true authentic self. If you get down a road that you're like, okay, maybe this isn't the road for me, turn around and come back because mm-hmm. you'll never be happy if you continue down a road mm-hmm. of unauthenticity. So tell me about your journey in, in discovering your, your true authentic <laughs> self. Tell me about your experience of, of your kind of awakening moment from uh, where you said, you know, I need to figure out this true authentic self, who this is and let it happen. So, um, as you know, I was married to a man. I was, I had a raging successful 24 year marriage. I truly feel that my marriage was extremely successful, even though it ended in divorce. Like he got me to this point today because of all the things that I tried to do to fit into this mold. I recognized that I wasn't happy in that mold. I wasn't happy when I couldn't express myself authentically. And when I say that, like, I'm the kind of person, and this is the way I was in high school. And then I met my um, husband in high school. And shortly after he served a mission for our church, he, we got married. And then we were married for 24 years. And I, so I was this happy-go-lucky person. I loved life. I had tons of friends. I was just, and I loved all people. And then I was, and a lot of this is probably things that I thought I had to do in order to be um, a participating member of our church. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've learned now that I can still participate in my church and be my authentic self. Mm-hmm. And I love that because I believe, I believe my purpose here is to teach people to live their true authentic lives. I believe mm-hmm. that's when we can truly find joy. Not when somebody else is telling us how to live our life, like mm-hmm. <clears throat> you shouldn't wear this or you shouldn't do this, or this is the path career path you should take. Like mm-hmm. we have to make those de- decisions with our, like within ourselves and co- not have anybody else put those on us. So in my marriage, I recognized that trying to fit into this box all the time, I was miserable. And as I moved through my separation and divorce, and I started recognizing that I was happy when I would be walking along and then do a heel kick or, and that wasn't, that wasn't acceptable. Like that you couldn't have those bursts of joy for whatever reason. I don't even know what the reason was. And like I said, I Mm -hmm. could be, that could have just been my perception Mm -hmm. that I wasn't able to, but I wasn't able to laugh. I just felt like I was, I I had to have this uh, Stepford wife look. Mm -hmm. I just had to have this perfect, like in order to, and I recognized that I was in a very toxic marriage, Mm -hmm. but I was trying to put on this personification that we had the perfect marriage and the perfect family And in all reality, I think what was the concluding factor for me is that I was exhausted. I was exhausted trying to have this mask that wasn't me. Like Mm -hmm. 
I didn't like the mask. I wanted to be me. I wanted to express myself the way that I wanted to express myself. And I think as individuals, we, again, we all have those talents and gifts that we have to express in our own unique way Mm. or, or they don't get expressed properly. Like if you were to tell me like, Shawnee, you need to do this in order to be happy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I really want happiness. So I, I, okay, I'm going to listen to Justin. Mm -hmm. In all reality, I have all the answers with inside of myself. I know what's going to bring me true happiness, not with Mm -hmm. what Justin tells me or what the world tells me or what my leaders tell me. Like Mm -hmm. I have to find that within myself. So what brings Shawnee true happiness? Oh my heavens. I have a list of things that make me happy. I, I constantly have an ongoing list, like the sound of wind chimes, um, being in nature that is completely soul filling to me. I call, I, I love rolling down my windows and driving and singing at the top of my lungs. And I love, I love laughing. I love, I recognize I love laughing. Like Mm. that is the most soul filling thing for me. I feel like the world I've recognized the world is a better place when I laugh, Mm. like everything is great when I laugh. And so I have a list of a lot of lists. Good. And of those things, what do you think is, do you think the laughing is maybe most uniquely you, the thing that maybe you bring, or is there something else that you believe that you bring into the world being your true self that makes the biggest difference to you and to that circle of influence around you? I think me being my true authentic self, people love authenticity. People love genuine people. And most people don't even know who they are. They don't, I work with a lot of women that were in situations like I was and they, I said, tell me what fuels you. Tell me what makes you happy. Tell me what like your passions are. And they don't know, like they were so consumed with keeping their marriages together and just keeping themselves together to have that outward appearance. And once they recognize that somebody, um, somebody else has gone through similar when they don't feel alone, that's what I've recognized in this world is when somebody doesn't feel alone, that's when they can really start to heal and learn who they really are. And, and sometimes I've worked with a lot of women that have come to the conclusion on their own that they, they need to divorce. And, and that is not okay in the eyes of the world, uh, or at least within the eyes of the church, but that's the decision they've come to. They found their true authentic self and they recognize that it's not conducive in the marriage that they're in. They can't be their true authentic self and mm. they will never experience joy if they don't have that. So I feel like I bring to the table, I try to teach people to, to learn what their purpose is here. I try to empower people and into figuring out what they want and coming up with their own questions and answers to who they are. And then to live that, it's like find out who you are and live it. Mm. So, so, the word that seems to be very repeated here and very focused in this conversation so far is authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see a similarity between authenticity and vulnerability? Is there is there a connection there? Very so much. Tell me what that connection would be. So I just had an experience with a friend that he was like, I could tell he wanted to say some things, but he wasn't willing, like he didn't want to, he didn't want to be vulnerable. It's scary to be vulnerable. You don't know how, yeah, you don't know how, but in that vulnerability, if you can show up, I don't know if you know who Brene Brown is. She's, yes, one of my absolutely. She's one of my favorite people because she teaches that. She says, know that you're of worth enough to show up and be seen. And so I was talking, it's the guy that I'm dating. And I was telling him that if you can't come to me and tell me certain things, then I'm not your person. 
Mm-hmm. You have to be able to, you have to be able to one, be willing to be vulnerable enough to come and sh- show up and know that whatever you say, like that, I'm not going to fly off the handle or whatever that, that I'm a safe spot. But if you don't feel that mm-hmm. you're never going to be able to be your authentic self with me. And that's going to affect the relationship because it's, you can't, you have to learn to be authentic with your people. They need to see that you don't always have your act together, that you always don't have a smile on your face. Like, you know, your people. And I learned who my people were going through my divorce. Hmm. You think you know who your people are, but then you go through what we call earthquakes in, right. at work. You mm-hmm. go through those earthquakes of life and the people that you thought were your people are no longer there. Hmm. But then there is somebody there holding you and supporting you and helping you along the way. So hmm. authenticity is huge, but you have to be willing to get vulnerable mm-hmm. to be authentic. They're one in the same. So you've mentioned, you just mentioned, you know, at work, we call these things earthquakes and you've talked about clients. Tell me about what you do. I mean, this is, I don't so, know what you do at all. Oh, you don't? No. I was wondering why you, I wanted to ask you those questions and I totally forgot. So I'm a life coach at Family Fusion. Um, it's okay. a transformational healing um, facility and the owner, Cami, I, she was a therapist and I, I did therapy with her for years mm-hmm. and she recognized that people um, would come in people that would come in, it was like they were on a trauma, like a hamster wheel of trauma. They were just constantly digging up the past and then they weren't moving forward very quickly. And then she had other clients that would come in and they seemed to be moving forward really quickly in their healing and journey and got more into that and recognized that um, they were people that were like writing and dancing and painting and getting into the right side of their brain. When we're in the right side of our brain, that's the creative side of our brain. Mm -hmm. And we can move through trauma um, and stress a lot quicker being in the right side of the brain. And so Mm -hmm. she stopped therapy and became a life coach. And now, um, because there's a whole new paradigm with life coaching, like that you can't get as a therapist, you can be friends with your clients, you can Mm -hmm. You can really, like a lot of my clients, I Marco Polo mm-hmm. because um, I'm in my car a lot and I can, they can process through. I'm working with one 22 year old girl right now that she moves through so much trauma so mm-hmm. quickly because she leaves me probably three Marco Polos a day that are 45 minutes to an hour long. Wow. But she just talks. And I don't, I told her, I said, I can't necessarily listen all the time, right. but as she's processing, she just did it to me um, this morning. She's like, as she was talking, she's just like, she has epiphany after epiphany. And I told her, I said, when you know better, you can do better. So when you label something as to what's going on, because you're talking through it and you're not just holding it in, um, you move through stuff faster. And so she, she, she is my client that 22 years old, I'm just amazed with her, but she moves through things so quickly. And she, it's because she takes advantage of the Marco Polo and she, Hmm. she has found the relevance in it and like how much, if she utilizes it, she is able to move through things a lot quicker. Yeah, I love that. You know, that's a, kind of a realization I've had. And I want to come back to a couple things you said there. And hopefully I'll remember them. But one of them is the verbalizing, giving something a name, saying what it is, really give, especially when it's a negative thing, it makes that thing lose power. Yes. And uh, one of the most profound things that I've come across in doing these conversations with people is one that I did a few weeks about a month ago that was released two weeks ago uh, with James Lehman. He said, in silence, we create the stories in our heads. And if I'm not willing to share or, or say 
if it's, for example, if it's somebody who's really annoying me for whatever reason, if I'm not willing to talk to that person and not say, Hey, you're super annoying, but say, Hey, here's what I'm getting from you. And I'm not, (laughs) it's kind of bugging me a little bit. Let's talk this out. Let me see if I'm seeing this correctly. It's no longer silent. I'm no longer playing that uh, resentment machine, the instant replay in my head. And it's getting worse and worse every single time I play it. It then becomes, Hey, if, if I do need to, um, address this because there are some things that are really bugging me. I can do it. If not, I can say, Oh, I misunderstood. We're good to go. Let's move on. You know? Yeah. Well, that whole process has been a huge awakening for me over several years, but that in silence, we create the stories in, in our heads is just mind blowing to me. So Brene Brown talks about that. She, I don't even know where I heard it. One of her things, I listened to so many of her things, but she was talking about, she's in this, um, this team meeting for her corporation or whatever that, um, and she's in there. And this lady is one of the, her, one of her workers was like grunting it. Like Brene would say something and this girl would like move and grunt and just look disgusted. Hmm. And Brene talks about the stories we make in our head. And so the story she had created in our, in her head is that this girl was totally annoyed by being there and being in the staff meeting and whatnot. So afterwards, and I, I don't know how well you know Brene Brown, but she's kind of, um, she's kind of sassy. Yeah, she so, is. <laughs> she's very sassy. So after she goes up to this lady and she's like, okay, I need you to know the story I'm creating in my head is that you were disgusted about being here. And she's like, no, I just did Zumba last night and my hips hurt. And mm. I kept like, and, and Brene does Zumba too. And so then it turned into this incredible conversation of like, mm-hmm. I know Zumba, you know, and she just goes on and on about it. But the story she had created in her hair, head by this lady's body language was that she was disgusted. She didn't want to be at this meeting. Mm. And and Brene's like, peace out, sister. Like, I, yeah. I don't need you on my team. And then they turned out like, but that's what she says. She always says, start those crucial conversations that you have to have with the story I'm creating in my head is this because it does, it snowballs. It's like mm-hmm. this big snowball. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I love a, a story that was related through another, it wasn't a podcast, it was a seminar, but I listened to it in a podcast. Uh, and I was talking about resentments and how resentments build up. Um, and I called it the, the resentment machine in my head. He, he, he said he was watching a football game. The guy went up, caught the ball in the air, guy undercut him, and he went down and he got really injured. And, uh, and he goes, you know, and for the next 10 minutes, those announcers kept replaying that thing over and over and over and over and over again. So it's just burned into our, into our minds how this brutal play happened. And that's just like resentments. I'll wake up in the morning, I'll sit at the breakfast table and I'll review yesterday and I'll be like, oh, that whoever really bugs me and just replay it over and it gets worse and worse every time. And uh, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle if we allow ourselves to just sit in there and, and watch that over and over again. Well, our brains are hardwired, Justin, for negative. Like if you think about it, like think about it's like the news, like you keep hearing the same story over and over again, and it just builds that resentment. It just builds that negativity. And one of my goals, one of my bucket list dreams is to um, create a positive news station. I dated a guy one time that he was, um, he was a marathon runner and one of his friends was blind and Fred would tether himself to this man so this man, could, this blind man could run marathons. He's actually done triathlons with them too. And mm. that was, I'd always wanted to do a positive news station. I remember years ago, like probably 20 years ago, I wrote a letter to Oprah Winfrey asking her if she would support me in this endeavor. Cause I mm. really wanted to get this. And I thought, I felt like she was like the queen of positivity. 
And like, just, I love, I love Oprah Winfrey, but we were talking, like I sent her this letter and she never wrote me back, which is totally fine, but I want to do this positive. And then when I went out with this guy and he was telling me about who he, you know, what he does, I just, those are the kind of people I want to spotlight. I want to spotlight those 94 year old women that go back to either high school or college to learn more or Mm -hmm. The guy that he tethered himself to actually is blind because he stuck up for a woman. There was a woman um, at a bar that a guy was like trying to rape her and he Mm. got in the middle of it and he shot him in the head. And so he Mm. went blind. And anyway, it took him, his wife took him to the track and said, you're going to start running. And that's how his running journey began. And then he went to school to become an attorney. Those are the kind of people I want to spotlight. But our brains are hardwired for negativity. It's a survival mechanism. It's like back in the caveman days, we were always looking over our shoulder. Like, is, are we going to get eaten? Like Mm. we were always on survival mode trying to stay alive. And so we've just perpetuated that forward. Um, So are we constantly as a society go back to the negative? It takes a, like a strong mindset to constantly pull yourself out of that negative mindset. Mm. No, I like that. And how do you, try to keep in that positive mindset. I mean, with the realities of life, life is is full of suffering. It's full of, of difficulties. So how on a daily basis or as often as you need to, do you pull yourself out and say, okay, let's look at the positive in this situation? So as a single mom to eight kids, I, my life is super crazy. I get up between four and five every morning and I have a whole morning ritual. I have affirmations that I say. Um, I have a vision board that I look at. I write letters. I journal a lot. I read a lot of uplifting. I won't, I don't read anything that will bring me down. Like there's so much negativity in the world that I don't want to like actively search out that stuff and read it. So I'll read like spiritual stuff or empowering stuff or anything that's uplifting. Um, some of the things I do around here with my kids, if you say anything in our house that isn't uplifting, positive or encouraging, it doesn't need to be said. And so it's a, it's kind of a joke around here that when somebody new comes over, if they say something, even if it's sarcastic, Mm -hmm. but it's negative or discouraging or whatever, they have to say five nice things about that person. They said something negative about. Mm -hmm. And so we've had a lot of fun experiences with the teenagers that come over here that, well, for instance, Adam, who's 18 now, just so you know. Wow. And <laughs> I, I'm, I know. Well, I think about Josh and Lily and I'm like, holy cow, I see pictures of them and yeah. whatnot. But Adam had some friends over here and Megan and uh, uh, Tyler knew the rule of the house. Like you can't say anything negative. They had experienced it and they had uh-huh. to say nice things about whatever. But then they had this other friend, Jeremy, come over. And Jeremy said something not so ne- or not so nice, and it was negative. And Megan and Tyler and Adam were all like, oh, "You have to say five nice things." And so, and then Jeremy wouldn't do it. And like I was a stickler. I'm like, Jeremy, if you can't do it, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And so I set very specific boundaries with myself and with um, the people around me. I do not, um, I do not like self-deprecating talk when people talk negative about themselves. I think the world does a good enough job of telling us how how inadequate we are. Mm. I don't think that we need to be doing it to ourselves. Mm. We as women too, especially, I don't, I can't speak for the male population, but women have a lot of negative self-talk. And that's what I teach a lot of my clients is that we have to start with you. Like we have to, because I don't believe you can tell somebody that you love them unless you can tell yourself that you love yourself. Mm. If you can't look in a mirror and say, I love you and truly feel that, 
you have no right saying it to anybody else. You have to, you have got to learn to love yourself before you can tell somebody else that you love them. So it sounds like you've learned that skill, I guess, of, uh, not being self-deprecating through much experience in your own, in your own life. Can you see in your mind's eye that the moment when you went, Hmm, I need to look at myself differently and you actually acted on it rather than saying that a million times and not not acting on it no i can't remember i remember just sitting there listening to clients just like put themselves down and i i honestly i just got to a point of enough i haven't always been in my marriage i had probably more self-deprecating thoughts than i than i did like any time else and this is one of the things this is my quote at family fusion our words create our world so if we think our kids are brats, our kids are brats. Mm-hmm. If we think that we have a jerk husband, then we have mm-hmm. a jerky husband. If we like, it's so funny on the dating websites that I've been on, they're like, it's so stupid to be on these. If you don't want to be on a dating website, then don't be on it. Then don't be on it. Yeah. Stupid. Guess what? They're going to be stupid. And all the experiences you have are stupid. So yeah. I never really had a point in time where I'm like, oh yeah, I got to stop talking to myself that way. It was kind of like, a transition into, but it was listening to all my clients and their self-deprecating talk that I'm just like, no more, mm. or no for me, no more from my clients. And I state that in the very first session, I'm like, I can't, I, I can't, you have got to switch your mindset around. And it's interesting because once they do switch that mindset, it's a whole new world opens. I can't even explain it. It's like they gave themselves permission to talk kind to themselves and then all the other things, all the other pieces fall into place. It's a complete mindset. Like I call myself a mindset coach at Family Mm. Fusion because I really am about the mindset. Mm. You can change your thoughts. You can change your life. Yeah. So what uh, led you to becoming a mindset coach? So um, I love the brain. I kind of fell into coaching. It was so interesting. I just, I believe there's such a divine orchestration going on in everyday life. Mm-hmm. This is going to make me cry. And I was taking a class. I was just kind of going through the motions of life, going through my separation and divorce. And I just remember like a friend said, come to this class. And so I went to this class and on the way over there, I was talking to this girl that she was telling me that she has these friends and I won't mention their name, but she was mentioning these friends and I'm just like, oh, okay, that's nice. And she's like, you need to go talk to him and he can help you. And I'm just like, I just listened to her. And then I get to this meeting and this friend of mine that I was talking to on the way over there told me different things about these people. Like they had seven daughters and this is anyway. So I go there and I'm sitting next to these women that were talking and I hear this one woman say something that triggered me that I'm like, excuse me, are you, is, are you so-and-so? And she's like, yeah. And she kind of looks at me weird. Anyway, long story short, I'm like, I was just talking to this person and we were just talking about you and what's the chances that you're showing up. So she left and she's a pretty prominent person in the community. Okay. And I walked out and then she came after me and she's like, you know, I wasn't going to come to this meeting. She says, I don't leave my house like this. I have no makeup on. I have sweat pants on and I came for you. And she says, I think you need to call this woman. And I don't even know how she knew my situation because I didn't say anything at the, at the class. But she, so she introduced me to Brenda Sanders, who was the, co- the coach that trained me. And okay. we became the dearest of friends. And I, I just kind of did life coaching because I thought, oh, okay, I'll do it. But I just, looking back, I just see how everything had to happen the way that it did. So I was doing therapy with Cami, 
And then um, when she switched to life coaching, she knew that I was a life coach and she asked me to come on her team. She had created this team of people um, that we, we do a lead from behind coaching which is a mindset, like it has to be a mindset of for the coach to be like, because in therapy, they tell you what to do, like do this, this and this, and it will make you better for in mm-hmm. coaching, we believe that you have all the answers with inside of you. Mm-hmm. So we'll be behind you, we might be next to you some of the times, but we equate it to climbing a mountain. And if you're climbing this mountain, and you know, you're struggling, we're going to be your cheerleader. We're going to get you up that mountain. We're going to have water for you. We're going to have snacks for you. We're going to have these tools to help you to accomplish that mountain climbing. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be behind you. Sometimes we might be next to you. Sometimes we might be supporting you in different ways. So, but that takes a mindset for both the coach and the person, because Mm -hmm. I have so many clients, like, just tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it. You have to get into the mindset that you have all the answers. And so I've just gone with that. And then just the study of the brain that I do, I just love it. Hmm. It all begins with a thought, Hmm. everything. So, so when you're coaching these people, do you run into situations where you're like, um, I think this needs some deeper work. You need to go to a, a therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist and do this in tandem. Or how, how do you approach those types of situations that are maybe deeper than, than, than your waters? You know, I don't know. So, um, with finding my true authentic self, I have really learned how to follow my intuition. Mm-hmm. And so if I have that thought and we had one, um, um, one lady that I was that we interviewed that she had told us about some mental health issues that she had Mm -hmm. and mental health doesn't scare me at all um, Mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons, mainly because I struggled with it for years and now no longer struggle with it. And Mm -hmm. I'm super grateful for all the tools that have happened in regards to that. But this one girl, like it freaked everybody else out on the team that Mm -hmm. she had these men. I mean, she was hospitalized and whatever else. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that are hospitalized that they don't ever tell you. And I felt like this girl was very open about it. Mm -hmm. And so she signed a mental health contract that if we came to the decision that she should go see, go to a therapist versus coaching, Mm -hmm. that she would do that. But like, I have seen nothing but huge success with her. Mm -hmm. It's, it's all about, trying to understand that, that person, like, and because of the mental health that I struggle with, I completely understand it. So I follow my intuition. And if I ever feel like something needs to go a certain way, then I, I will follow that and honor it. I've learned that when I don't honor my intuition is when I get in trouble. Hmm. Like we have, all of us have a pretty powerful intuition. It's whether yeah. or not we are going to strengthen that or not. So would you mind sharing a time when you uh, did not follow your intuition and it got you into trouble? Yes. Okay, I'll talk about this client. So interviewing this client, like she had, she had sent up some red flags that I was like, hmm, that's kind of a victim mentality, but it was a different victim mentality that I, I have a hard time. Actually, I'll just be honest. I won't work with people that have a victim mentality because I don't feel like they're ready to move through the stuff that they need to move mm-hmm. through. And that's fine. Like we all go through victim mentalities at right. one point or not, or a couple times in our life right. um, or three times or four times. <laughs> but So I had seen some red flags in the interview and I had seen some red flags the first couple of times coaching her. And it was kind of interesting because I really felt like I followed through on my intuition with this situation. I woke up that morning and I had her on my mind a lot. And so I called her and she said she was really struggling and I have a let go technique. I take these clients out to the desert and 
they write on plates and we just trash them. Like I'd lay down a tarp and put it over a whole bunch of rocks. And we just, we write out like scenarios, situations or experiences in our lives that are negative. And we just write them out on the plates and then we just trash the plates. And then you just bundle it all up and throw it away. And it's, it's kind of, it's a let go technique that it gives the brain evidence to get it out. Mm. And so I taken her out there and she went into this victim mentality that I could not pull her out of. And have you ever seen the movie, like in movies where somebody's like completely freaking out and they slap them across mm-hmm. the face to like jolt them. Mm-hmm. Well, I yelled at this client, like, cause she was spiraling down and she was taking mm-hmm. me with her. And I'm like, stop, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. And everything that ensued from there on was a nightmare. It was crazy, crazy nightmare. It pulled the entire team of family fusion into it to, to try and help her through it. And it ended up that I just, I had to stop coaching her, but I looked back and I'm like, my intuition told me don't do this. Like don't take her on as a client because the victim mentality is too strong. I really want to, I really liked her. I really loved like talking to her and stuff like that, but that victim mentality kicked in, but the intuition was there all along and told me way at the beginning. So how does one get out of a victim mentality when in all honesty, let's say that some they were wronged and of the 100% of that wrong, their part was like one half of 1%. How does that person get out of that, that victim mentality? So you have to recognize first and foremost, like what your responsibility is. You have to be able to stay in your lane. And if you're not willing to stay in your lane and you're, if you're constantly blaming somebody else for like, so one of the things she blamed, she was mad at her, her brother-in-law and sister-in-law for acting like they were raising her 36 year old son. And I, but what if they aren't like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to get somebody out of the victim mentality other than mainly cause I won't work with people like yeah. that. But how do you like Shawnee, how do you get out of a place where, and maybe not now, but looking back at your life, I'm sure there were uh, um, things where you went, Hmm, I, I can't immediately see what my part in this situation is. How do you then rectify that? I don't know. The first thing that came to my mind, I'm a true believer if somebody makes us mad or triggers us in any way or does something, it's, it's up to us to figure it out. Like if you said something that offended me, it's up to me to figure out why it offended me. Did it hit home? Like, was it like really close to what, you know what I mean? It's not your responsibility to try because there's not going to be anything that you could say because you've already offended me. So there's not going to be any apology that you could make. I mean, if it wasn't, okay, let me back up. I truly believe I try to assume positive intent with everybody. We call it API at work, assume positive intent. I truly believe everybody who gets up in the morning really wants to do good as they go throughout the day, things happen and you know, things, things get triggered of, you know, in their life, like hurts and past experiences and whatnot. So I don't believe it's anybody's true intention to offend most people. I shouldn't say not. Everybody. Yeah. So I truly believe that most people have a positive intention. Like, I don't feel like people wake up to try and hurt other people. So if you say something that offends me, I've got to figure out why that triggered me or why that hurt me so bad. It's not your responsibility to make that right. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be exhausting for you to like try to accommodate everybody. I dated a guy one time that he felt like he was a chivalrous man. He loved to open the door, but he had a couple of women. He'd open the door and they'd be like, what, you don't think I can open my own door? Mm-hmm. You know? And so he stopped opening doors. And I'm like, if your true authentic self says that 
you love opening doors for women, then continue opening doors for women. It's going to be exhausting for you to be like, was she the one that didn't want me to open the door? Like it, like go back to your true authentic, like what it is that makes you happy. If it makes you happy opening the doors, then open doors for all the women. And don't worry about those one or two women that didn't want you to open the door for them. Right. Right. So how do you teach that API uh, assume positive intent to your kids? I think just by saying it over and over again, if they come to me with like a certain situation that they've been hurt, my sister and I always joke around, like my sister does something to me. I'm like, she's like, I didn't wake up to do that. Or I didn't wake up this morning to take you off, Shawnee or something (laughs) like that. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like that same concept is that I, I teach them that I don't believe it was, I mean, sometimes they just have to vent. My kids just have to vent. Like they're mm-hmm. mad at a teacher or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to vent. And we, we have ways of getting rid of the negative over here, but always going back to that, like, do you really feel like if you were to think about that and sit in that, per- like sit in that experience with that person, do you really feel like they were trying to uh, offend you? And so when somebody can sit instead of if they can respond versus reacting to a situation, like I think you can, really see that most people's intent is really good. Most people don't want to hurt or offend people. Hmm. No, and I think that's that's a powerful mindset that uh, I think it's really hard for many people to convince themselves that that is the truth. Some people, myself included, and, and, and I strive not to be this person anymore, but wake up assuming that someone's out to get me. Yeah, you know, it's that whole caveman. The, the the things behind it me kill me, and I've got to be aware of it. And it's so hard to to break out of that, but it is very freeing when that happens. So is can it, I ask? Is it freeing, or is it does it make you happy not having to think? Because freeing is like if you wake up every morning thinking that somebody's out to get you, that's mm-hmm. going to make you unhappy. But if you wake up every single morning saying yeah. like the world is a great place. I listened to a podcast just recently about this guy. He says every single morning he wakes up and he's like, it's going to be a great day. Mm-hmm. It's always a great day. It is completely how you, you start your morning off. And yes, I love being happy. I love um, those things. But to me, seeking meaning, having a meaningful day is more fulfilling, more freeing than, and this is, sounds terrible, just being happy. And, and I'm not saying this is the case for anybody else, but for me, if I'm walking around saying, hey, it's a fantastic day, I'm not being true to myself. I don't have to go around and say, hey, this is a terrible day. I can go around and say, I am doing the best I can to make today a better day for me and those people around me. Well, what and I was saying about that comment, for me. yes, and I, t- I 100% agree with that. And actually that whole like, there's a war going on around you and you're like, it's a great day. Like that, we call that toxic positivity. That's not, that's not realistic. But if you can start your day, like the first, so I don't know if you remember the secret, like years yes. oh, ago. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. So one of the th- examples that they had in there is that if you get up and the first thing you do is stub your toe, like mm-hmm. that sets the precedence for the day, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh great, the day's, gonna, and it just kind of goes downhill from that. Why? Because your first experience was negative. Mm-hmm. So if you start the day off and set the precedence, precedence that it's going to be a great day, chances are that it's going to be a great day. And finding mm-hmm. meaning in the day is like, I mean, that's a great thing too. Like, mm-hmm. 
which it sounds like meaning brings you happiness. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of my core um, goals in this podcast, as well as in life, is to have meaningful conversations. I I want, I seek meaning. I seek connection through those meaningful conversations. And then the, the end goal is to inspire others to see their own worth. You know, I love that. And that brings me to see my own worth when that happens. So I love that. Yeah. So that's kind of the, what I've discovered. It wasn't what caused me to start doing this. Well, I think it was what caused me to start doing this, but I hadn't put it in words. I hadn't figured it out, you know, but I love finding meaning in the ordinary lives of people who have extraordinary stories. I love finding that value, you know? I love talking to people because like everybody loves to talk about themselves. Like our brain, the best sound for our brain is our own voices. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I do, um, gratitude is like one of the highest vibrations in um, a, like a frequency chart. It's okay. like right under God consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so with every coaching session, we start the, we usually do a write and burn, which they write down all the negatives that they mm-hmm. are, are rolling around in their head. And then we go and burn that. And then um, we started off with gratitude. I have them list what they're grateful for. And I just listened the po- same podcast that I listened to about, uh, it was all about the brain, but mm-hmm. it talked in there about the brain loves the sound of our own voice. Like we love to hear our own voice. So I've combined the two, like the gratitude piece and the sound of our voice. And I've asked the people that I coach to read, read off their gratitude because it solidifies to the brain. This is really what I'm grateful for. And I haven't had one person who couldn't get through their gratitude piece without crying, without having that, that just that true humility of gratitude. And so, yeah, we love to hear our voices. So Hmm. that's, that's funny though, because most people, Yes, we love to hear our own voices in our head, but most people when they hear their own voice recorded, say, yes. that, that does not sound like me. I don't like my own voice that way. But <laughs> <laughs> I, This is true. But you know what? Like in Marco Polo, like mm-hmm. you sound like Justin to me, hmm. but you probably think the same thing that your voice, and I'm sure I'm going to yeah. hear this. I'm going to be like, that's not my voice. Right. But there's certain, like there's certain um, videos and stuff that we do, we do sound like we are and our mm-hmm. voice, our brains love our voices. Yeah. Keep talking, Justin. Keep asking questions. So um, I want to go back to you earlier. You mentioned, you know, getting in our right brain, which is the creative side. I, you know, I've, I've, I've recognized and had kind of an awakening, a reawakening in the last handful of years about things. You know, I, I remember as a young kid loving to write. And then, Yeah, stories, stories and stories. Because I love writing in a journal. So I was just Mm -hmm. trying to clarify. Okay, keep going. And at some point, and I can pretty much pinpoint when that was, I was convinced, I allowed myself to be convinced that doing things like that or excelling, being smart was not cool. And I allowed myself to buy into that. And I for nearly 30 years, I bought into that. And uh, as I've come to an awakening in my own life of the falseness of that narrative, that it's not cool to express myself in certain ways, that it's not cool to do these things, you know, as I bought in, as I've realized the falseness of that narrative, 
my right brain has woken up a lot more. I've become a lot more creative again. I went, I, <laughs> in high school and on, I was like, I'm a very logical person. I got to find a job that's very logical and I got to do these things that are very logical and, and, and like this. And I do fine with logic, but uh, it's not where I thrive. No, most yeah. people thrive in the right side of their brain. So I equate the, the right side of the brain. So, you know, there's a feminine and uh, masculine energy within each mm-hmm. of us. Right. And the right side of the brain is um, the feminine side, the creative side. Like mm-hmm. um, we're creators. I mean, women mm-hmm. are creators. We, we grow babies with inside of us and right. we do all these things. And honestly, I feel like our world today is more in the masculine, more in the logical side of um, their brains. And we need to get more into the feminine side because that's mm-hmm. where love and nurturing is. And we have to get back to love in order for there to be like peace and happiness um, because the right side of the brain creates that. When people mm-hmm. are in the right side of their brain, they do. They, like they are, they're awakened to this happiness and this joy that they've never experienced before or to a different level that they've mm-hmm. experienced. And the left side is very logical. It's mm-hmm. the analytical side of the brain. And I equate the right side to like our hearts and I create the left side to our brains mm-hmm. and the brain, the brain is the worldly ego. Like when we're making decisions out of our brain versus out of our heart, if we're not leading with our heart, then we're leading with our brain. And that's yeah. usually where the ego comes in. And the ego, um, the ego is very dominant in the world today. And we need to go back to the, the softer side of the right side of the brain, the feminine yeah side of the brain. Not mm-hmm. that, not that you have to, you know, wear pink tutus and right, right. like being, no, I understand what you're but saying. to very much get to that. A lot of men have a hard time showing emotion and emotion mm-hmm. comes from the right side of the brain. Mm-hmm. Like there's not very much emotion in the left side of the brain. If any, I mm-hmm. don't know if I've even ever recognized any emotion in the left side of the brain. Yeah. So. And, and, and I also recognize that there is a definite need for logic for the left side or things wouldn't, if I, if I left everything up to the right side of my brain, nothing would get done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it would, it just would look different than what the world wants it to look. Well, and it would look different than what I believe actually would be beneficial. I mean, I'd be homeless if I just (laughs) went on the left side of my brain, I'd be divorced if I, I'm not the left side, the right side of my brain. If I was just there, I'd be divorced. I'd be homeless. I'd be, I'd be on drugs, honestly. (laughs) <laughs> how do you know that? Like, how, uh, how do you think that? Because of the the natural tendencies that I have, if I just let myself go with the whims of things. So okay, that's good that you know that about yourself. Yeah, and 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 you know, and this isn't about me. I'm I'm sure talking a lot in this. Well, but, I have uh, that effect on people. Is what yeah. I found. Well, and typically I do too. That's why I I love doing this. You know, people <laughs> afterwards are podcast. like. Uh, I've never told anybody that. And I just blabbed it on a podcast. That's going to be, I get that all the time. People are like, that is creepy how you do that. Yeah. (laughs) So, so for me, and I don't know that this is something that you would ever recommend doing with your clients or, or in your own life, but for me going into the depths of the darkness that I could possibly be has been very healing to me. Oh, for sure. Recognizing that I am one decision away from being a Nazi prison guard you know, recognizing that that is really easy to have happen if I allow it to has made it so when I come to that crossroads of not as extreme as a Nazi prison guard, you know, but 
I, when I come to that crossroads, I can go, you know what? I have been there in my mind and I've been there in person in some places, but I've been there in my mind and I don't want to go there. So I'm going to make this choice and go this other way. Well, I've recognized with the clients that I've worked with that they, um, went, because the modalities that we have at Family Fusion are like, we have a writing processor, we have an art coach, we have, um, um, we do a lot of sound healing, um, music therapy, like just a ton of different modalities that get people on the right side of their brain. Mm-hmm. And I'm recognizing as I'm working with these clients and they're doing all that they're doing, that the traumas of the darkness of the past does come up, but not to the extent that it does in therapy. And I'm not knocking therapy. I believe there's a right, right. balance for that as well. But I've recognized that people are moving through their past traumas and uh, with like ease, great, like success and ease. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch instead of, you know, clients sitting in fetal position. I mean, they're, they're learning tools and they're learning modalities to move through these things quicker. There is a lot of power in breaking stuff, like in a healthy way. Like I've had, I've had people write me emails or just horrible emails. And I remember printing it off and I did this and then I went in and I was talking to Cami about it. I printed it off and it was like the most horrible email. Summit. Like, I don't understand. We should never send negative to anybody. Like we can send it and burn it. And I remember printing it off and I remember like just stabbing it and crumpling it up and ripping it and burning it. And like all the negativity was gone after I burned it. It was like mm-hmm. the most powerful thing. And I teach my kids to do this. Like my kids have had situations. My daughter... Um, Shelly, she was, um, she had a horrible teacher so much so that she was starting to have suicidal thoughts and the counselor, like she had made a comment to one of her friends, the counselor called me and I'm like, I deal with this stuff all the time. Like I just needed to know that. And I I had to put a few more things into place for Shelly, but we recognized that was one of her teachers that was really getting to her. And we were close to the end of the semester and the counselor's like, this is affecting her this much. We're going to do a, a schedule change. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of it, during Christmas break, um, she had a huge stack of papers that she was supposed to do and she didn't do it because she just, she couldn't go up and ask the teacher. It just brought her so much anxiety. Mm-hmm. We went out and burned it. She mm-hmm. was crying. Like it mm-hmm. got rid of so much. And then she was fine after that. So mm-hmm. we have to get the negative out first. We can't just force in positivity. Mm-hmm if we don't get some of that out, the negative out, we all have negative in our head. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, very good. So, so Shawnee, I want to ask you a couple forward looking questions now. Okay. Um, what are some legacies that you want to leave for your children? Much like your, your grandfather has left for you. What are some things that you want them to carry on um, that are important to you? Maybe things that we haven't already discussed. I think I want my kids to learn what their purpose is here. I believe we each have a purpose. I want them to find out that purpose and live it. And like, no matter what the cost is, because sometimes our roads look unconventional, our paths look unconventional, conventional, but I want them to figure out what that is. And regardless of what anybody tells them or says to them, I want them to follow that. That's the legacy. And honestly, I believe that's my purpose is to teach people to live their true authentic selves. Because that's the only way you're going to have a happy life. And I want my kids to be happy. I want my kids to go through this life and I want them to teach their kids to follow their purpose. Find out what it is, follow it. Mm-hmm. It may not look exactly how when you first come across your purpose, when you look for something, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. You are the, I use you guys as an example all the time. Mm-hmm. I remember Heather, Heather and I were walking one morning. 
I hope it's okay to tell this. Oh yeah, tell, tell, tell whatever. So I remember Heather and I were walking one day and she's like, hey, I just want to let you know, like we're not planning on moving. Like, mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know on this podcast, Heather and Justin used to be my across the street neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so we're walking and Heather's like, I just need you to know this, but like we're not moving, we're just looking. But are Justin starting to look for, um, like he's just looking at other houses and seeing what's mm-hmm. out there. And I'm like, you guys are going to move. She's like, no, no, we're not. We love it here. Did you guys move? We eventually moved, yeah. So when we look for something, mm-hmm. and you guys were probably following your intuition. You probably just had the thought, hey, let's go look at houses for whatever reason. And it, mm-hmm. it led you down the path to where you're at today. So mm-hmm. I can't begrudge that. Right. just was really sad at the time that you guys, I'm like, I knew it. But when we look for something, we find it. So I want to teach people to look for their purpose because they will find it if they look. You find whatever you look. Seek and you shall find. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want my kids to do. I want them to seek their purpose, find it, and then live it. And it may not look conventional to everybody around them, but I truly believe if you live your true authentic self, you'll be happy. Any other words of wisdom or thoughts that you'd like to share before we close this up? No, I'm glad I got in the, like, Justin and Heather moved story. <laughs> I do. I honestly, I use that all the time because I tell people, if you look for something, you will find it. If you look for anti-literature, you will find it. If you, yep. look, for, if you look for houses and not wanting to move, you will move. Mm-hmm. Heather and Justin are the perfect examples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now we're up in Spokane. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> And it's great. It's great. I know. So, well, very good. Well, Shawnee, I really appreciate the time that you've uh, taken out of your day to to have this conversation. This I hope fun, it was meaningful Justin. to you. It was. It was so much fun seeing you and getting getting reacquainted. Yeah, you yeah. guys have been gone for how many uh, years now? Let's see. 10? About 10. Almost 10. Yeah. So crazy. You're getting old. Uh, I know when I look at two. But <laughs> no, you don't. Not at all. Sorry, that was so negative. I, I have to find, find, like, five, five good things, five good things about you. You are very uplifting and positive. Um, you're very handsome, Justin. Oh, thank you. You're, you're a happy, like, you're just a happy soul. Like, whenever, and I remember this when you lived across the street, too. Like, whenever I left you, I always felt, like, uplifted and happy. Mm. Like, thank you. you're a bright light in a dark world sometimes. Mm. So let's see. I think you're a great father. I think you're excellent with money. I have always thought of you and Heather as the example of how to like budget and just, I just remember talking to you guys all the time about that and just <laughs> always impressed with how awesome. Uh, I, could go well, I feel uplifted now. Thank well, you. You're kind of red. Do you want me to keep going? More I'm really red now, you know, you're, you're embarrassing me. No, it's good. Thank you so much. I mean, that, that's a great example. And when you said I was getting old, it, I honestly wasn't offended at all, but I appreciate the pump. Well, and that. it's, and it's not an, I mean, we all are getting old, right? It's, yeah. it's just inevitable. So that's kind of our goal, hopefully. Right. Yeah. I, I, I I'm okay with it. Yeah. I actually like getting older. I, mm. I'm almost 50 and I'm super excited. 50 is the new 30. I'm super excited. Awesome. Well, there you have it. A journey through life with Shawnee Jarman. I hope that uh, you are motivated to find your true authentic self. I hope that maybe the idea of saying five nice things about somebody when something negative is shared is something that might help strengthen you. And a couple of the other things that really brought um, me to some contemplation were our words create our world. I think that's something that could be used very powerfully. Now, once again, I'm really grateful that you have stuck through and listened to this 
um, episode of the Journey Through Life podcast. And I hope that you subscribe if you have not already and follow us. There are awesome episodes coming up with amazing people just as the last, well, 30 episodes have been. Just amazing conversations with ordinary people with extraordinary stories. Until next week, have a fantastic week. Thank you. Thank you.